Hello everyone and welcome back to the Madam's Cast and welcome in particular to Mr. George Egg. George, are you there? I'm here, loud and Brilliant. clear. Hello. Hello, hello and welcome to the Madam's Cast. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honour. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. I love it when people think it's an honour. Um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, next time I'm allowed to actually meet you in person, I shall insist on you kneeling down so that I can, you know, doff your shoulders with a sword and present you with your honour correctly. Good. I look Brilliant. forward to it. <laughs> now, George, I know who you are. Lots of people know who you are. I, I'm going to sum you up quickly, and then I'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit about what you're up to now and um, how you've got there, because that's interesting for people, and mm. I love hearing uh, about other people's stories. And it gives us a good angle then for your views on food, which we'll get into in a minute. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds sounds ideal. Okay, Away you go. so I'm going to go for it. This is my introduction to George Egg. George, live performance comedian cook type dude. That's that's where I am with that. That's how I always think of you. Um, I met you first. I'm trying to work it out. I think it was four or five years ago. It might not be quite as many as that. But you were coming down to uh, Lyme Regis to put on your anarchist cook show. Is that right? Uh, yes, that was the one that you would have seen was, was, yes. uh, yeah, the show called Anarchist Cook. Yeah. Brilliant. And anyone who hasn't seen that can find it online, I think, and, ha- and look it up, um, probably via your website, which is georgeegg.com. Clever. Yeah. See what you've done there like that. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was absolutely riotous from start to finish. And I think I went off and got you some chips to share with us at the end yeah, of the show. Yeah, I remember those chips. Um, and from there, we just sort of remained in contact and it's been absolutely delightful for me to watch your career progress as you've been sort of launching new edinburgh shows and selling them out uh there was one about cooking with diy tools i think and then you were working on one the last time we spoke you were working on one that was cooking using forms of transport or whilst on forms of transport um which i thought was absolutely genius but then i find that sort of thing funny so do you want to pick up the reins and tell me what yeah. you're up to now and how you got into doing that? Well, what I'm up to right now is, uh, well, touring with uh, Hiatus, obviously. Um, yes. Uh, the, the show that you just mentioned, that my, my third uh, comedy cooking show, uh, which is called Movable Feast, which is about how to cook on the move. So how to cook on the train, uh, airports, in the car. Um, and... Um, yeah, uh, and then in the hiatus that we've all been uh, uh, granted, I'm working towards a web series, uh, just a self-produced home shot web series called The Kitchen at the End of the Universe. That Brilliant. Um, is going to be uh, the same sort of thing. So, so my as as you kind of uh, uh, mentioned just then, my sort of shtick is that I. Uh, cook using unconventional appliances and uh, with sort of innovative methods so uh, the first show was cooking in a hotel room then cooking with tools now cooking with the car um so my 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 uh, kitchen at the end of the universe show is going to be me at home in my conventional kitchen but also cooking with uh you know um the the, the sort of the sort of, sorts of things i use in my show so cement mixers and hot air guns and uh, wallpaper strippers and so on what on earth did you cook in a, if it's not too much of a, a spoiler alert, um, what on earth do you cook in a cement mixer? I toss a salad in it. 
See, now, if if there are people out there listening to this who don't find that funny, I understand why you don't find it funny. But that's why there's people in the world like me that do find it funny. Yes. Um, I find that's absolutely you're, hilarious. And you're my audience. What, what made you, what, what made you, what inspired you to first thing? Actually, do you know what? I love food and I quite enjoy being funny. Um, I'm going to put them together. Well, for uh, a good two decades, I was just a stand-up doing uh, sort of, you know, 20-minute sets as parts of comedy uh, lineups at clubs all around the country. Um, and I, at the same time, I was into cooking. I've been, you know, really passionate about cooking um, for, for as long as I've been a comedian. Um, and then, uh, well, it actually came from real-life experience. So I would stay in a hotel. Uh, I would uh, get get back there after the gig, a bit sort of adrenaline-fueled and feeling a bit mischievous and feeling like being busy and hungry. Um, and I just started experimenting with the appliances in the hotel room, seeing what I could cook with them because I didn't want to spend a fortune on poor quality room service food. Um, didn't want to go out and buy a load of junk food. So thought, okay, let's see what I can do with the iron. Let's see what I can do with the kettle and the hairdryer and so on. Um, realized that actually with a bit of imagination, there's a lot you can do with them. Turned that into my first show. Um, and it was a real revelation. I mean, before, I guess probably a, a, a couple of years before doing that first show, I really seriously thought about stopping doing stand-up and, and doing something in the culinary world because I was so passionate about it, you know, starting a, a cafe or something. Or actually, a really uh, uh, genuine thought I had, which I'll come on to later on when we uh, talk about well, something else I really want to talk about, um, but uh, was uh, uh, the idea of starting a cookery school for children to, to teach kids how to cook, because I think that's a, a you know a woefully neglected area. Um, and um, anyway, and so it was a real revelation doing this show where I was actually cooking on stage, and that's that's the thing that I think is really important is that the food I cook on stage is genuinely good food. I mean, it's yeah. not some sort of, you know, clowny gesture towards it, chuck and flour about or whatever. It's it's real cooking. Um, and the, the audience get to try it at the end if they want to. And, um, yeah, and it, and it just, it worked. I took the show up to the Edinburgh Festival and sold out the whole run. And it was, yeah, it was all self-produced. It was all off my own back. And it and it, and it just was, was far more successful than I could have ever hoped for. And, um, yeah, and then sort of kind of realised, well, I've, I've found a niche that I'm comfortable uh, occupying. So then came up with the, the next show and now the third show and just carrying on down that path. Brilliant. Fantastic. And, I, you know, I came and saw that show and I thought it was great. And I've been watching your work ever since. And I'm looking forward to catching up with the next one as and when. Or oh, actually, this online kitchen at the end of the mm. universe stuff is going to be quite interesting. So I shall definitely be clicking, sharing and laughing at that one. That'll be uh, on my radar big time. But here's the thought that comes to me from everything you've just said. I really like the inspiration of how you've got on stage talking about food and cooking in unusual places. And the reason I like it is it's very easy these days to fall into that trap. And it's interesting that you mentioned airports because they're a good one. I hate airports. I don't mind waiting around. I'm naturally quite a lazy person. I'm quite happy mm -hmm. to lounge about for hours on end watching other people worry. Um, but the thing that really annoys me is you're sucked into this sort of commercial 
nasty environment where the whole place is just planned to extract money from you and you find yourself thinking okay well i'm not going to buy a new pair of trainers because i don't need them and i'm not going to buy a new pair of sunglasses because I, I wear glasses so that's pointless i'll just i'll look cool but I, don't, I won't be able to see anything and then you get to the point where you go right i'm oh, fine i'm gonna have something to eat and you go off to get something to eat and you if you're really lucky they might have a lay on or something in in the place in which yeah. case you know, result most of the time you're like, no, I can't believe this. I'm trapped in flaccid sandwich hell and there's no one doing any real food and I can't get out. And I, ah, and they've taken my packed lunch off me at security. You yeah, know, it's yeah like, and your water and everything. I mean, it's just, oh. I hate that. Oh, I totally hate that. When did the packed lunch die? When when did not making something nice and taking it with you, when did that become a thing? Although, actually, that's the, I realised uh, six months ago or so that, that actually they they don't take food off you when you go through security now they take they take any liquids but i um i was me and uh, mrs egg were going on a little holiday to gran canaria uh about a year and a year and a quarter ago and um at gatwick airport we we thought well let's take some let's take some food with us and see if we'll yeah. be allowed to take it through and uh, and i had this um it was just a, a one of those sort of one kilo yogurt uh little buckets um with uh, a load of uh, just a nice kind of macaroni cheese thing that i cooked the night before that shoved in there and um and it went through security and of course we got pulled over to to for the, you know for, for them to have a look through and this guy was holding the bucket so gingerly with these with his his little you know plastic gloves on tipping it really gently from side to side and he said what's in here I said, well, it's kind of a sort of macaroni cheese thing. It's got a bit of... <laughs> and then a little peep inside and he just nodded and gave, gave it to me. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And so then I quite like then is that we would disappear into a, um, into a sort of paradoxical world of uncertainty if I were to take some food with me in the form of soup. Well, exactly, yes. Because then it's like the, the sellotape bit of t buttered toast on the back of the cat that you throw out of the window. You're in that situation where, where you know... <laughs> I've not heard that. That's great. <laughs> it, You've not heard that one? No, That's how I you like build that. a perpetual motion engine. Um, so <laughs> so they, they've got to let it, you have it because it's food, but they won't let you have it because it's liquid. And they're just going to spin round and round on that one. It would be great. Yes, I never thought about that either. Yeah, the whole viscosity thing. When does it become yeah. solid? Yeah, exactly. At what point are you allowed to call it food? Oh, I think I think there's there's an experiment waiting to, to happen. Take a whole <laughs> a whole school class of children, each with increasing vis viscosity soups, and see at which, at which point they say, "Okay, that's that's solid enough." <laughs> and we'll film it. We'll film the whole thing and um, broadcast it. It'll be brilliant. There we go. That's the next job. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, we sorted that out then. We don't need to bother with the rest of the podcast. Um, right, George. Okay. I'm going to call this meeting to order uh, because much as it is fun for me to sit here blethering with you like an old mate, um, that won't get us through what we need. So um, I have asked you to come up with, like everybody else that comes on the Madam Cast, a three point plan for how you would change the world of the food if you could or even if you can, or even if you never want to, what you would change. And I've been very clear with everyone that they can be as um, as thoughtful and well-meaning with that as they like, or as flippant and funny as they want to be as well. It's a no-holds-barred kind of scenario. So, George, start me off. Number one, what's the first thing that you would change about the world of food? Okay, the first thing is, um, and this is this is I've, some of the some of the things I've thought of are 
a bit more flippant and silly. But uh, although rooted in, you know, real sensible thought, um, yeah. and some of the series, the first one is actually quite a serious one, and it is I, I would like to completely uh, address uh, and 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 change the the way that food is taught in schools because I think that it is a woefully neglected subject. I mean, when I think of, I've got three kids who are all um, they're adults now, the youngest is 18 um, and they've been through the, the school system and compared with how, what I was taught. And I, I even don't think that the way I was taught about food was particularly good, but it, it was a hundred times better than, than my children's experience of uh, food teaching in school. Um, I think it's a an essential life skill. I think it should be up there with maths and English and art and everything. Um, it's uh, it's creative. It's, uh, it's it, you know, you, you're talking about health. You're talking about the environment. There's so much connected with it. Um, and, and just at its most basic level, I think kids should be, should be being taught exactly how how to cook you know from raw ingredients how to uh uh you know make the most basic foods because food waste and uh uh unhealthy eating are just rife in this country and and you know and and the government can put sugar taxes on and things like that but if people don't know about how to cook in the first place that's that's just it's that's not solving the problem that's that's uh just solving a symptom of the problem you know mm, i completely agree mm. and uh, anyone who's got any sort of experience with most children there will be exceptions but most children i've been asked this before tim how do you get your children interested in food and my kids aren't particularly interested in food they'll eat a bit and they'll cook a little bit and they're only 10 and 8 we've got a bit of a way to go yet right but letting them in the kitchen and letting them get involved is the way to do it and if you you know if you can't engage children at school in maths you can't engage them with drama you can't engage them with design whatever they will be engaged by food because everybody has an interest in eating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that it's, I mean, I just think, um, what do I, so I'm just, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at my, because I've, I've written notes on this and there's things I don't. Oh my, you're so well prepared. Well, I just wanted to, wanted to get it down, you know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, here's the thing. Here's an interesting thing. When I, um, uh, before I'd started doing the, the, when I, when I had my little sort of, uh, uh, mini, uh, I don't want to say breakdown at all, was the breakdown, but when I, when I went through this, this phase before I started doing the, the comedy food shows, um, yeah. of thinking, oh, maybe I'll do something else and was feeling a bit disillusioned with the whole sort of stand up circuit. Um, b- before I thought, oh, maybe I'll do something in the food industry, I started a PGCE to be a design technology teacher. And, um, and it was fascinating going into a secondary school. I, I didn't complete the course. I got, I, I couldn't, I basically, I have a, a, a big earring in one ear and I wear a skull ring on my, on my hand. And, and the first day going into an actual school, uh, at the end of the day, I got a phone call from my mentor, all very sort of sheepishly saying, but I'm really sorry, but the head, the, the, the deputy head has said, can you not wear your earring and your ring? And I just thought, I, because I've ne- before then I'd never ever done a job where where I I was uh, being told what to do. I've always been my own boss, and I thought I just can't handle this. But um, but but when Wait, I was in the school, uh, hang on a second, hang on a second. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we need more people with 
um, creative and individual ideas in our schools and less oh, uniform. I, I reckon. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but no, I'm, what I'm, I was going to say, I've allowed a thought to interrupt the whole process. I <laughs> no, must stop doing that. Good. Okay, okay, as you were, as you were. Um, Carry on. Yes, so, uh, and one of the stories I heard when I was there were. What's happened? Oh, I can hear you. I've lost you. Are you still there? Hello? Oh, no, this has gone horribly wrong. Whoops! It was at this point that I realised the internet had broken and that George and I could no longer hear each other. I've added a little bit of music, this bit of voiceover, and we'll be back with the conversation in just a moment. Thank you for your patience. Okay. So you, they wouldn't let you in the school because you had an earring and a skull ring on. Yes. So that was just that. That's why I kind of didn't carry. You know, I got I, I got fed up with the whole uh, being told what to do thing. But aside from that, what I was going to say was that um, I was told uh, by my design technology mentor of stories of things like uh these sort of elderly design technology male uh, elderly male design technology teachers being suddenly told oh you've got to feed teach food tech now and them having no idea about it at all but having to do it because because the whole system is so screwed you know um so that that drove me nuts uh secondly then um after doing the uh, not completing the pgc i did do some teaching um, at uh, university, um, uh, at Southampton Sony University, they did a degree in comedy, and I taught on that. And just talking to the university students there, I mean, this was eight, nine years ago, I suppose. Um, and they had they they, they had no idea. I, I was saying to them, "What do you uh, what do you eat? What do you you know? Now that you've left home, you know." And 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 they would they would say, "Oh, we just go to the pub and get dinner because it's easier." And and they just didn't know about cooking at all they weren't into it and in fact on the last day of teaching that i did i taught there for a couple of years and on the last day i just thought well, i'm just doing a completely different lecture and i i took in a great big tray of eggs that i got down the market and a little portable stove and just did a lesson on how to cook omelets and taught them all how to cook omelets as my last brilliant. lesson there <laughs> brilliant that is absolutely fantastic and and also i'm learning stuff because i didn't know you could do a degree in comedy yeah, well, you can't anymore. It didn't last oh. very long. It was a, it was a ridiculous degree. I mean, it was. I think comedy is one of those things that if you, well, I think I think it. I, I think it didn't work because the people who started the degree were trying to create stand ups, and I think you can't create. You know, stand up is someone who wants to do it and they just go and start doing it. I think similarly with like a degree in art, or I mean, I I did a, a degree in. Uh, uh, it was called visual and performing arts and it was all uh, sort of mixture of it's about you know half kind of painting or whatever uh, side of visual art you wanted to do and half performance and it was very broad and you could pretty much do anything and that was the approach I took to teaching on the comedy degree was kind of thinking right okay you know you should be doing sketches and you should be doing little plays and cartoons and animation and um and yeah you know and all that kind of thing yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, the people at the top of the course were like no they should be doing stand-up they should be doing stand-up and i just thought well that's that's a stupid uh you know that they, they can go and do that if they want to anyway and the degree didn't really last very long i think it lasted another couple of years after i left and then it was one of the ones that was um uh sort of you know shut down due to a lack of a lack of positive student feedback. Although I comedy, think I got good feedback when I was there. 
yeah, well, good for you. But, I mean, teaching the omelets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it makes a gnarly omelette. I think you know, food and comedy. You know, when you start to think about it, they share a lot, don't they? You know, they're both very, very personal. I mean, one man's rare steak is another man's, you know, horrendous nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas one guy's funny person is someone else's idea of a really bad night. You know, yeah. Um, quite i quite like that that's an interesting comparison all right so number one absolutely we need to improve the way that food is taught and include some cookery basic even cookery with that at yeah. school yeah oh no i'm so i'm so passionate about that and it and it yeah it drives me drives me mad that that and i i just think you know i mean i'm really into cooking and i i i know what i'm doing but i i i waste ingredients and and i mean and I think I'm pretty good at it and, and generally, you know, certainly at the moment I'm being even more careful, but I think, you know, you, you I'm, 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 I'm sailing close to the wind, aren't I? You are, you are. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just, just tempting your, your fingers over the, the, <laughs> the appropriate noise button. But, um, uh, but yes, I think that, uh, uh dedicate a, a, a much bigger, uh, proportion of, of teaching time to, to food. Uh, would would be a very positive change for society in this country. I like it. I like it. We'll give you a reset button for that. That's a definite. Uh, you won't find any arguments from me. And and there's some interesting people out there doing a lot of. Now I'm going to get this horribly wrong because I'm thinking about it straight off the top of my head. But there is a national charity that give children breakfast before they go into school or at school. Uh, and they've done some amazing research off the back of that, you know, children who were underperforming, you know, yeah. and whatnot, getting this one decent meal a day before starting school was allowing them to sort of advance. And then they were using that to hook kids into learning about the food that they're eating and how it affects them. I thought it was very clever. And I've completely lost the name of this charity in my it's head. It, but it's not the Breakfast Club, is it? I think that, it might be something as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something I've looked at deeply, but it is something I've heard a couple of radio shows about or heard the lady who set it up speaking somewhere or another um but i thought that was quite quite clever and it you know there are various other been various other attempts to do stuff in schools um it's brilliant but it just feels to me like it shouldn't be a charity you know it should be something that's just part of the curriculum you know yeah. and, it's, and i'm not 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 uh, uh you know saying it's it's not a great thing but the fact that it's a charity is is a shame you know that 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 you need to have a charity for something like that when it should just yeah. be completely, as I say, up there with with maths and English. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about life skills that are useful. A number one, feeding yourself, right? Yeah, I'm there with you. Okay, brilliant, fantastic. So that sounds like a really good point at which to dive out of point number one and dip our toe into point number two. What, okay, what, what's happening with point number two, Mister Egg? Okay, number two is a realistic perspective on intolerances and allergies okay that is yeah yeah that is, that is good you know that is coming from don't you i mean and this is a huge subject too right yeah i mean first of all you know i want to make it clear that i completely appreciate that uh you know someone suffering from celiac disease can't eat gluten and that sesame seeds and peanuts in the are gonna you know cause a lot of harm to someone who's who's allergic to them and might kill them but i think that the the rise in awareness of intolerances and allergies has created um, a bandwagon on which a lot of companies and publishers and bloggers and so on have jumped to sort of generate this slew of information, which I think is 
preying on people's fear and ignorance uh, and their instinct to go with the herd as a way of making money. Um, what a surprise. <laughs> and I think that it's, um, and I've been on the, the, the sort of, you know, the end of it being, being the person who does the majority of the cooking in my house um, of, you know, having uh, members of my family who've due to, you know, being, I think misinformed of sort of going, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to eat gluten from now on. It's like, well, you're, you're not gluten intolerant. You've just, following the herd and and you know um being influenced by sort of certain bloggers and so on and um and it's and it's a and it's sort of yeah a, a negative bit of misinformation and I yeah think and that, I, yeah potentially dangerous right yeah certainly i mean things like um and i suppose actually here's the thing it comes it comes back to to education again you know if if food uh, were were taught uh, better at schools then then there'd be fewer people being sort of you know drawn to these these kind of uh, sort of quack doctors and and anecdotal evidence uh in the first place i mean things like sugar i know that uh, uh you know sh- sugar obviously is bad for you but but then there's people saying oh maple syrup is fine you know <laughs> which is 20 times more expensive and and it's it's you know it all turns to glucose in your body and so yeah, it's gonna, yeah, still sucrose yeah. isn't it at the end of the yeah. day yeah exactly yeah so it uh, so that basically what I want is a world where if I'm hosting a dinner party and I cook a load of special gluten free food for the people coming who can't eat gluten yeah I want a world world where those people don't then end up eating the other food that I've prepared because it really looked nice and they'd heard that it was nice and saying, oh, I just thought I'd have a little try it. That, that absolutely, uh, yeah, that does yeah. my nugget in. No, 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 honestly, but you're talking to a dyed in the wool hardcore restaurant chef of 20 years. And listen, I will defend anybody's right not to be poisoned. Okay. Mm. I think, I think it's really important. It's certainly key to running a successful food business. Uh, is to not run around poisoning people and people are allergic to all sorts of different stuff. You know, like celery is a, is an allergen, a recognized allergen uh, shellfish, obviously all the sort of ones you've heard of. Um, and the reaction to those can obviously start being sort of mild uh, digestive upset all the way through to, as you say, ultimately death. Yeah. Um, and, and I will defend anyone's right not to put anything within their body that isn't, you know, that is going to do them harm and restaurants in particular uh, need to be on, you know, up a hundred percent on what's in everything. Mm. But then what I've also thought over the years is my God, it's a minefield, isn't it? Because if you walk into my restaurant and you're severely allergic to gluten or flour, there's a good chance that just breathing the air is going to cause you problems. Yeah. You know, and, and then I think, oh my God, I mean, at what point, I mean, you need to be contacting the restaurant a week before and saying, oh, I'm coming in, I'm severely allergic to this. And I think you're going to find that as these things amplify and get worse, um, or we become more aware of them, or they become larger parts of, of the dining society that's affected by them, you will have restaurants that just ban certain ingredients from coming in the door because it's too risky. Um, which again is is if, if, if it is a real health 
uh, issue, then of course that's completely fine. But it's 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 the it's the bandwagon thing of people who who aren't allergic to it, and and then who are selective in and are just tempted by oh, I, I, you know, I'm dairy intolerant, which is why I've specifically asked not to have any dairy in this food. And then, but oh, but you know, Sheila's pudding does look really good. I just try a few spoonfuls of it, and then it's <laughs> like, well. Look at all the work I've put in to, you know, to, yeah, to yeah, accommodate yeah, in yeah, you. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's, uh, yeah, again, a serious one, but maybe a little bit more frivolous. But not, no, not frivolous. A little bit more, a more, more entertaining than just saying, uh, make food teaching better in schools. Yeah, for sure. I'm, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm 100% with you, right? So there are two categories here, and, and we've got to be careful to make sure we separate them. People with proper allergies, totally different mm. cut of fish. And then what we can frankly determine as fussy, bloody eaters. Who, yes, and just, well, well, people who, not even fussy, I mean, I think pe- people who have been seduced by uh, by the, 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 the sort of health fads, Oh uh, yeah, snake oil uh, peddlers, yeah. um, and are thinking they're doing themselves some good, um, but actually it's all a load of cods. I remember a few years ago when it was all about the goji berries, and it was like if you eat goji berries, you're going to live forever. Oh yeah, superfoods, oh, isn't it? Yeah, if I can only eat goji berries. You can shoot me now. No, <laughs> 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 oh, but I mean they're nice in the right place in, in a bit of Chinese food. They're quite tasty, but um, you know I wouldn't want to live on goji berries yes. alone. No, it's a- when yes, it's when things are uh, incorrectly labelled as as magic. That's yeah, when, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Particularly mushrooms. You should never incorrectly label them as magic. You'll have problems. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, mushrooms are one of the superfoods, right? I mean, it's incredible the ability of fungus to do stuff, and yet everyone's banging on about coconut sugar. Mm. Oh know, no, completely. Think, well, bread's a superfood, as far as I'm concerned. It's just that's magic. Yes, yes, and contains fungus. So I'm into it. Um, we can both go, both be into bread and real bread. I, I mean, this goes back to your first point for me, real bread. You teach someone, a child to make a flatbread or a simple bread roll or something like that. Yeah. That is changing their world for them because they are, you're never, you're never going to be able to kid that person into believing that something plastic is bread. Yeah. Oh, utterly. And I mean, and spiritually and everything, I mean, just so much more baking bread. Whenever I'm feeling uh just a bit fed up i will i'll bake a loaf of bread and it's there's something in in baking bread that i think it's the 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 kind of quite sort of meditative process of doing it that you don't really have to think much you can just you know it's just you know quite a sort of plain simple laborious task that that you know that there's exercise there from doing the kneading there's science there from you know watching it all happen and then at the end of it you go I've got a loaf of bread. I've got a loaf of fresh bread. The house smells amazing. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's better than doing a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Bread therapy. Everyone should try it. That's a definite. Um, Okay. So we've had food taught in schools, a realistic or a more realistic slash sensible approach to allergies and intolerances and brackets. Stop people making them up when they haven't got them. Close brackets. Stop people making you cook gluten-free food when they're going to then go and tuck into the uh, 
pasta. Yep. I, yeah, I, I'm going to briefly tell you this because I once made an entire meal for a whole bunch of mates that were coming over. I made the entire evening vegetarian except for a couple of the canapes because we had a couple of vegetarians coming who were new friends in the circle. And I didn't want them to feel um, like I'd kind of picked them out or selected them out. And so we just did the whole meal vegetarian and no one batted an eyelid. It was all, you know, delicious stuff. We ate all of that. But I'd done some canapes. Um, to go between a couple of the courses and one of them had a little bit of smoked pigeon on it and as I handed it around I said look be careful because this is what got actually got meat on it and they were oh actually we quite like pigeon we'll try that <laughs> I was like, a I was insulted because I was like well if you want ethical meat if you're going to eat ethical meat I, this is a good place to do it I know what I'm talking about on yeah this. Uh, and if be if you're not vegetarian why did you tell me you were vegetarian uh, and everyone else has now missed out on uh, steak <laughs> It's just anyway, fury. And, and and also they really were messing up because here's the thing, uh, Tim, I still dream about the bacon that you gave me. So for the listeners, I did a, a show, a one-off show called The Mess that I put on uh, at a uh, museum in London. And it was... Oh, um, yes. You remember that, don't you? And, yeah, uh, I'd forgotten about... Oh, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, that's... Because that's was when you said oh, that's where we met, I thought you were going to say about that because um, I can't remember if we met no i think we, we we did meet at um lime regis first and then yeah. you came to yeah. the mess afterwards it wasn't the other way around you, um, you you stupidly invited me to come and be part of some performance art with you not stupidly at all because a you were very good and b i got some free bacon so uh <laughs> win-win um what it was for the listeners it was uh an evening of it was it was an idea i had that i thought i could maybe grow into a monthly thing and for one reason or another it didn't in the end but it was a um it was going to be a night of uh a sort of cabaret but all about food so we had uh, i was doing my sort of you know cooking on unconventional appliances stuff uh we had uh tim um uh haywood doing a, a talk about i can't remember what he talked about at that one uh, his... I was nervously stressing out backstage. Yeah. Anyway, he did a talk about. I think it was about. I think it was it was about sort of gluttony and about how um, we've got uh, we've we've become a, a, a species who can deal with uh, things like you know high blood pressure and so on like that. And he was sort of d- just discussing whether or not we should be healthy or whether or not we should go in, in a direction that we find more satisfying and deal with the the problems that causes with medicine that it was an interesting talk anyway uh we had harry hill doing some absurd cooking um on stage and then yourself uh doing a talk about sustainability i think wasn't it um and you you cooked some bacon uh live and i remember they were it was at this museum where they had all these paintings and they'd said beforehand we can't have any strong smells or anything because <laughs> that can, that can be absorbed by the paintings and they i know that the the curator was at the the back of the room kind of going oh my god he's cooking this this bacon on a on a stove but anyway it was all fine um <laughs> but anyway and then the bacon that you didn't cook because there was a nice big slab of it you gave to me and well we made it last because it was so good it was like shall we have shall we treat ourselves to a bit of tim's bacon yeah okay we're done you know so yes so your guests were really missing out <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, real real bacon is a great. I mean, it's a it's a bit like your bread thing. It's it's a talisman of everything that's gone wrong with food. I mean, you now these days, bacon is something. If you buy it in the shop in a packet from a supermarket, it, the only the only thing about it that actually means bacon is that it's got bacon written on it. 
yeah. and it's vaguely, vaguely porky. That's that's about as good as it gets because it's as far removed from actual proper bacon as, yeah. as you can well, get. Well, as was demonstrated by the stuff that, that I got from you, which was, yeah, it was just like a whole... And it's a whole great processing museum curators with as well. So yeah. um so uh, so that needs to bring us nicely into um uh into point three so okay now point three uh i was thinking about i was thinking about having a little moan about uh tipping and service charge because that's a thing that that drives me nuts is the whole service charge added i always feel like it really if, if, if it's if it's going to be a thing it should be a thing that that you pay based on your experience if it's about how well you've been served, you know, and I've been at some restaurants where you've just got the nicest, politest, most attentive, really decent person serving you. And then you, you want to put down a nice hefty tip because you want to, you know, show your appreciation. And then other times where you've got someone who's surly and you think, well, if I had the balls, I wouldn't put anything down, but I haven't got that much courage. Um, but, <laughs> uh, too British, but when it's added on, it just feels like, well, it should just be included in the, within the cost of the food anyway but that's the, I, I, I don't want to talk about that so uh that was just hang, a on, hang on hang on you're adding things here you're, you I know, I sneakily out out and then say i don't want to talk about that well i'm i mean i'm in the same ballpark okay, okay. i want to you talk about so yourself warned okay sorry i don't know if there's a klaxon for that one anyway well, right. i might have to invent one <laughs> Yeah, well, also because I'm worried now that I'm going to do the same thing with the books because I've got a long list of books that I want to narrow down. Uh, no, that's okay, you can do that. That's, that's fair enough later on. Mm. That's fine. Okay, so what uh, is so, number three then? What is actually number three? Okay, I want a world where either of these two things happen. First of all, there's there's two ways of dealing with this, this problem. The first one is uh, when you go out for a meal, you pay... A separate, and I know this happens in in you know with set menus and so on like that. But where you pay a set price for your meal and maybe another one for your drinks, regardless of how much or what you have, and obviously that that means that you're going to have some people who take advantage of it and turn up super hungry and end up having more than their fair share, as it were. But then equally, you'll have other people who eat less, and you work out what the average is, and then work out what the price is going to be to make that work. But then it means that you get, you you ask that you're going out for a meal with friends, and you're told, okay, it's it's twenty five pounds for the food, and it's ten pounds for the drinks, and you just mm-hmm. you know. And I really, obviously, there are models kind of like that. So that's that's uh, that's one that's one uh, way of dealing with this problem. The second one which I think would be maybe we need some sort of some better future technologies to, to do this, but it would be automatic charging based on, uh, on what, what, what you consumed for the place setting. So you basically each place setting has got um, digitally, it can tell what you've ordered uh, and, and it charges accordingly. And then intelligent glassware that can tell not just how much has been poured in your glass, yeah. but but what it is. So it's not going to be thrown by tap water. Uh, and then at the end of the uh, of the meal, your place setting has your bill, and you just bit your card on, and then you pay for what you've got. Because there's nothing I find more frustrating than going out for a meal with friends, and you kind of go, well, "I'm on a bit of a budget. I, I, I won't have a starter." And then someone at the other end of the table goes, "Oh, I'm going to have the." 
the scallops and then and then you get a bottle of wine and they're filling up their glass far more frequently than you are and you're just thinking this i know what's going to happen at the end of this (laughs) should we just split the bill and you go well i can't say uh, like that so that drives me nuts and i tell you another thing that 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 i can't stand is so you know if you 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 go you, you're going for a meal with with uh one other person say and you yeah. you, you go oh should we get a bottle of wine or we'll share a bottle of wine and um and one of you drinks drinks their wine faster than the other <laughs> i that's think that's fine. normally me <laughs> <laughs> it's normally me as well it would be all right if we went out together but but say you've got what there's an imbalance in the speed of wine drinking when the waiter comes over without being asked yeah and just fills up their glass and tops up your glass so it looks like you've both got and it's like no no i only had about four sips and now it's like and then you and and in your head you just you're not enjoying your milk because you're going well this this isn't fair <laughs> so and i don't want to sound like a tight ass but money should never take the joy out of food but i i completely understand where you are there's nothing worse than that you need i mean have you thought about sort of getting your cards on the table at the start and saying look we're gonna go dutch on this we'll share a bottle of wine and by that i mean i'm having half the wine and then look like such a tight like <laughs> And then everyone making jokes, going, "Oh, are you sure? Are you sure I've had too much wine?" You know, if it, <laughs> so what it needs to be, it needs to be the norm. You yeah. know what I mean? So that yeah, yeah. It's because, yeah, you don't want to look like a sting bag. No, that's which you true. would if you brought up, if, if you ever bring that up in a situation, and everyone's going, "Oh no, that's okay, it's okay," and you just know in the head they're going, and then when they go home, they're going to say, "Oh, George was very, I thought he was more generous than that," and and you just think, "Oh, I'm not being tight," but. You're getting through that that bottle a lot faster than I am. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. ordered the steak, and I ordered the, you know, no I, risotto. I, I, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scan down the menu. What's the cheapest thing here? Then I struggle with that because I always think um, you've got to make money out of people when they come into a restaurant, and you have a you have to have a minimum cover charge in your head. But when you walk into a, a restaurant, you know, a sort of middle of the road neighborhood kind of joint and you scan down the menu looking for something cheap to have for lunch and it's a risotto and it's still 11 quid and you're like 11 quid for a cup full of rice and some chicken stock. You know? oh, I don't mind that. I really don't mind that at all because, you know, I'm totally aware that it's it, you're not paying for the ingredients. You're paying for you're paying for the rent and you're paying for the the. The, the person building up the business and the the waiting staff and the everything else you know there's so yeah, much more it's yeah, not yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. you can never i think say oh that's you know oh no. i could i could have made that for far less at home it's like yeah, no, 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 no. i completely agree with that but then what upsets what gets to me and this is my problem not the restaurant's problem but my problem then is that i start looking at the menu and going actually what's the best value <laughs> yeah well, oh yeah and so I, from second setting out to have the cheapest thing i end up getting something from the middle of the menu because i think that would be better money money well spent <laughs> yes well i tell you what i do and this is this is just so terrible is i i i am conscious of the fact that and, and then i try and check myself on it that i'm going through the menu not thinking about what's sort of best value financially but kind of well what's the most calorific thing that will mean i won't want to eat again for you know until tomorrow morning i won't get in and go well actually i have a bit of cheese on toast or something you know so i'll be i'll be going what's the what's the best value calories to to pounds in money and that's not that's not a way to 
look at a menu. Here's the thing again, and it's, it's, it's choice again. That's another, I've got such a problem with choice. I wish that restaurants had, instead of menus with different things on that had a menu with two options and the options were food or not food. And you'd say, can I have food please? And they go, yep, fine. And then you get brought food and you eat it and you don't have to choose and then, because I always have, that's another thing that I always, I always have food envy. Always. <laughs> I had a great, the whole grass is green on the other side of the street. I had a, I had a much better one than that the other day. And I can't remember where it was, but it's the barbecue always smells better from over the fence. That's a nice Ooh, one, isn't it? Yeah, and, that is. <laughs> and, it, and I'm like that with food. So if I go out for a meal with, with Mrs. Egg, I always feel, oh, I'm going out for a meal. I should, I should, I should order something meaty because it feels like a treat. And I'll do that. And Mrs. Egg will order vegetarian because she doesn't eat meat. And I'll always have food envy of what, what she has. And then, and then, so I'll try I'll, as an experiment, we'll go out and I'll, I'll say, what are you going to have? And she'll choose. And I go, all right, well, I'll order that as well. And she'll go, oh, well, if you're going to order that, then I'll choose this instead. And then I have food envy of what she had. And it's like, well, if I'd left it, I'd, you know, it doesn't matter whatever it, it's, it's in the stars. I will always prefer what someone else has got. So if it's just, the whole set menu thing, one price, one meal, no arguments, no arguments about the money. Well, there's a good way around that, isn't there? And I, I think that's the bring your own booze supper club scenario where everyone mm. eats the same yes. thing. You're all going to pay the same. You take your own drinks with you. Uh, I mean, this is just shameful self-promotion because that's what I do with my chef shed. Um, but there's loads of different people doing pop-up stuff like that. And I mean, this could be the perfect environment for you, George. This is, this is a marketplace you should be tapping into for your I'm, night out with Mrs. Egg. I am going to, and I would like to come to one of yours and I will make sure that happens in future. Brilliant. Well, you'll be obviously incredibly welcome. <laughs> uh, actually, um, one of the uh, first recordings, I think it was the first recording I made um, yeah. for the Madam Blast featured Sini uh, Glaster. And they, uh, she was one of the founding, um, or was in fact the founder of a website called WeFiFo, which is about people hosting supper clubs in their own houses. Um, maybe you should check that out as well. I will check that out. And that's, uh, it's a direction I've thought about going in as well, doing, you know, kind of combining the me cooking with unusual stuff with a supper club. So people kind of, get a bit of a interesting comical show as well as a really decent meal. I want to come to that. I mean, that that, to be honest, that's just like watching me cook. I mean, it's usually quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay. So we've got three things. We've got food for thought at school. We need more of that action going on and kids being taught to cook as well as uh, where their food comes from and how, you know, important those uh, circles are. Um, we've got a realistic approach to allergies and intolerances, brackets, not making it up that you have them, close brackets. And we've got a world where no more um, per perceived stinginess is possible at the restaurant. Yes, and I think we could sum it up with intelligent crockery and glassware. That's, that's basically what someone needs to invent. Well, they just need to invent that, intelligent crockery and glassware that, that tells exactly... My friend, um, I've got a friend called Dan Evans, who's a comedian who's written these brilliant uh, 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 detective stories set in a near future. And uh, and in one of them, there's a, a it's it's a future where uh, people have got fed up with stag and hen nights ruining 
city centres. So they've built two towns off the M4 called Stag and Hen, where <laughs> it's just debauched. And, and if you've got a Stag or a Hen night, you go there, you do it. It's pretty lawless. It's like sort of Escape from New York kind of vibe. Nice. And he, he came up with some brilliant, weird horrible sort of and, and very realistic visions of the future um one of which was uh a a cabinet that dispenses food and they've had to spell it f-e-w-d to get around the fact that it's you know pretty much inedible and what it is is it's it's bread breadcrumbed deep fried litter nice and so so occasionally you'll get something you can sink your teeth into like a nappy and occasionally oh. it'll be something hard like an old coke can but Basically, people are just ordering it because of the, the sort of salty, starchy breadcrumb coating. So that's one thing, which is not far off some of the, the fare that you'd get at some of the comedy clubs I've played as well, that sort of fried shit. Anyway, um, and uh, the, uh, the the second is um, a way of extracting every last bit of, of shrapnel money from your pocket. Yeah. And it's the outside of bars have these sort of uh, latex teats and a little coin slot and a cushion and you kneel on the cushion and you put whatever money you've got into the coin slot and it will dispense that much lager. So you might only have, you know, 12 pence and it will dispense <laughs> like a couple of mouthfuls and you'll just suckle these <laughs> worth of lager out of the, the wall of some horrible pub. But um, yes, so, so which is kind of, kind of like the intelligent glassware thing, where it it, it knows exactly how much you've had. And right, two things, two things quickly. What was this guy's name again that came up with uh, this? Dan Evans. Dan Evans. And, right, uh, yeah, his his books are well worth uh, well worth a read. Okay, we'll look into those. And number two, I thought we could shortcut the whole intelligent knife and fork process yeah. by merely weighing people on the way in weigh them again on the way out brick up the toilet i was just gonna say yeah i was just, just gonna, yeah 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 I've, I've thought of that the floor in the problem in the plan and then we'll just charge them as they leave based on how much more weight they're carrying that's a far easier one isn't it well but then you do have to brick up the lavvy which means no one can stop for very long doesn't it yeah yeah. Or, 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 and this is a line from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a, it's a world where um, uh, I can't remember the name, but it's it's some some planet where tourism has become so bad, um, the amount you eat uh, is subtracted from the amount you excrete uh, while you're at the planet, and then you you pay a tax on that. And it just says, which is why whenever you go to the toilet there, it's vitally important that you get a receipt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Loving it. Right. Okay. So, George, we're, we're, we're sort of diving out of the semi-serious bit of the Madam's cast, and we're heading off into um, the wonderful, whimsical world where I get to make you make a very difficult choice. And the very difficult choices are that you have to choose one and only one cookbook that you would have on your hypothetical desert island and one and only one drink that you would have while you are perusing it i don't know if you're familiar with the concept but the idea of the desert island is not a specific desert island it is just somewhere you can't leave it could be you know it could be a nice garden in kent it might be the top of everest it's up to you that's fine but you've only got one cookbook and you're only allowed one drink and you've got to combine those two things and tell me what they are okay how do you feel so, about that i feel i feel uh I, I've I've got 
a list. I've, I've actually got the actual books in front of me. I've gone through my shelves trying to decide which which book to choose, and I haven't actually chosen yet. So I'm going to tell you which ones I've got in front of me and then make my decision. So I've got uh, I've got a book called Manifold Destiny in front of me. Have you heard of that? No. It's great. It's uh, a guide to cooking on your car engine, and I used it as inspiration for my current show. Um, Manifold Destiny. Yeah. And it's... And- uh, it's got. It tells you all about different engines, the hotspots. Um, you know uh, uh, how far you would need to drive at what speed to, to cook certain things, and it's very entertainingly written. It's got real recipes in it, and um, yeah, and it's just a totally absurd cookbook on how to about how to cook with your car. But then, if I'm on a desert island, I suppose I'm not going to be driving anywhere, so maybe. I'll put that in the reject pile. Okay. Okay, but who, who's it, before you reject it, um, who's uh, it by? It's by Chris Maynard and Bill Scheller, S-C-H-E-L-L-E-R. Scheller? That sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. So does. there we go. So that's a good one. Okay. Um, but that's not coming with me. You understand that the concept here is to choose one book? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm doing it live. I'm choosing okay, live. Okay, okay, okay. Choosing live. Right, drum roll, please. Next Another book. Another one I picked up. Which it's not a cookbook, but it's called it's it's called Real Food, and it's by Martin Parr, the photographer. Do you know him? No. He does he does photos of sort of just life in the UK, and it's it's again it's it's one that's really worth getting. It's just a uh, a book of photographs of the most horrific, uh, gaudy, processed British food, and it's just some of the photos are. They're just something else. I mean, just some of these sort of what we got in here: Swiss rolls and uh, grey sort of stews, and it just yeah. I, that's what I'll do after this. I'm gonna I'm gonna just send you a few screenshots, a few uh, uh, scans of it because it's brilliant. But anyway, I'm not gonna choose that as well because that's not really a cookbook. Okay. Um, I've got Penn and Teller's How to Play with Your Food. <laughs> Which aren't is, they famous magicians? They're, they're illusionists, aren't they? Yep, they're two brilliant American uh, comedy magicians, and they wrote a book called How to Play with Your Food, and it's it's basically a magic book, but it's um, it's all all the magic tricks are uh, using food. So that's a fun, that's a great book. But here we go. I've decided this is the one I'm going to choose, and it's it's a book by because uh, it is. Uh, I, it's, it's my most thumbed actual cookbook on my shelves. And it's by your friend, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. Yeah. And it is the book he wrote before he became famous, which I got before. I got this back in 95, uh-huh. before uh, River Cottage or TV Dinners or, or um, Cook on the Wild Side, any of those early shows. Uh, came out and it's called Cuisine Bon Marche. Do you know it? I don't. So it's 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 great and it's really funny in there. I can't. I was trying to find the page. He talks about um, a book written by Richard Stein, and so this is pre Rick Stein being famous when he just refers to him as Richard Stein rather than old Rick Stein off the telly. And it's um, it's such a good book. It's he basically just goes through. Uh, through it so the sections are uh it's got vegetables and he just goes through every vegetable talks about it and then has a sort of suggestion of three different 
simple recipes with it. Uh, then he does uh, fish, then meat, then offal, then game, pulses, and uh, there's no no photos, no drawings. It's just all words, and it's an absolutely brilliant cookbook for if you've got if you're looking through the fridge or the cupboards and you just go, oh, I've got some. I've got a lemon sole. What should I do with it? And then you flick through this and you go, oh, there's a load of ideas. So it's a really good one. It, it's kind of like, I told you it's like, it's like before the internet kind of where, where you just Google what you've got and see what yeah. the internet comes yeah. up with. Oh, um, I love it. So a sort yeah, of new Fernley Whittingstall based pre-internet search engine for food yeah. users. Yeah. Brilliant. A, well, I'm going to have to dig a copy out from the archive somewhere. And, yeah. And, uh, oh no, really it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great book. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's Hugh before he was, the Hugh Fernie Whittingstall that we all know now. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> nice chap that he is. And um, the interesting thing about this little segment of the show, I'm going to butt in with some thoughts of my own here, is I thought I knew quite a lot about the world of food cookery books because I've got a reasonably extensive collection, right? And I've cooked for a bit and I'm into my food books. Um, I'm a little bit of a food book addict, let's say that. I'm a big fan of, of writing and I love reading. And so obviously being about food books, I mean, that thing works for me quite well. No one has yet chosen... <laughs> A book that I've even bloody heard of. <laughs> well, this is great. This is going to, although the, the only problem is, is it's going to, are you like me uh, that when this finishes, you'll, you'll go on Amazon and just go, oh, I'll buy that, I'll buy that, I'll buy that. And then it's already there. Alexa, Alexa has been, uh, we've been hand signaling to her to, to download us the copy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I will definitely have to go digging around and try and find a, a, a quite like to buy used copies. It feels more. Mm. I don't know why, but it feels oh, yeah. more nicer to get a used cookery book because quite often with a cookery book, when it's a used book, you can find the pages that people have been using a lot. And I, yeah. I tell you, I like to think, but make up whole stories about the people who had the book before me and yeah. why they. Oh no, so much so. There's it's there's like orange blancmange so much. Yeah. No, I've got. I was I was thinking of choosing um, uh, the uh, How to Be a Domestic Goddess just because that's one that is just so worn out in our house. But flicking it open, I realize it, it's worn out so much but only on two pages and it's the banana bread page and the brownie page. And they are just covered in splashes. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> it will just fall open at those two pages. And um, yeah. And it's fascinating. I think, yeah, when you get a second hand book and you go, Oh, right. They must've liked that recipe a lot. I'll try it. Brilliant. So cuisine bon marche by the legend that is Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. I will look it up. And what are you going to have as a little tipple while you're, um, while you're, fingering through the pages of this book uh carton of bongo <laughs> no not really <laughs> <laughs> a carton of bongo oh, okay, uh, so no for, for uh, an imagined bonus point if you can give me the song from the television advert that went with the bongo i might i might sort of issue you some kind of round of applause or something. i do you know i can't remember how it went but talking of adverts i tell you if you want to if you want to laugh if you um google the lilt advert where uh, the, the one where it goes, here comes the lilt man, lilt, oh, yeah. and he's yeah, and and you've got the the, totally the milkman so going around the island, yeah, and he's and he's he's giving everyone their lilt, and at the very end of that, there's a guy on the beach who just, and now you imagine the scenario, you're on, it's a really hot afternoon, on a beach, and he's and he opens his can of lilt and he drinks it a bit like, have you seen the film Witness? <laughs> no, <laughs> where is? In, in, in witness harrison ford 
drinks a glass of uh, lemonade um, in a very, he's really thirsty and he drinks it. And as he's drinking it, it kind of, you know, and that sort of when people are really thirsty and it's going down, down the sides of the mouth and onto the chest and everything. Anyway, this guy does that with a can of lilt um, at the end of the advert. And all I think is you're going to be all sticky and you're going to get <laughs> sand on that. Who would drink kind of fizzy pop with it all going down your front like that, unless you're an idiot. No, anyway, not going to happen. Gonna um, happen. No, I don't really want a can of umbongo, um, uh, a carton of umbongo. I would like, I had a big think about it and I'm, I'm actually just going to go for a cup of tea because, oh, nice. because I couldn't live without tea. I mean, no. I was going to choose beer. I was going to think of, of I'm all into my sort of cloudy beers at the moment. They're all nice, all unfiltered craft beer, but it's going to have to just be a leaf tea, not a bag. Nice. Really nice. A good cup of tea sets the world to rights. Mm, definitely. Um, Mrs. Madams can't, can't function in the world until she's three cups of tea down in the morning. That's an important part of every day for us. Oh, likewise. It's a tea, tea, then coffee, and then, then get wine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, actually, it's funny as you should mention unfiltered um, beers. We've got—I mean, there's such a resurgence of real beer in this country. I'm really excited because Greg, who runs the organic brewery Stroud Brewery, has agreed to come and be a guest on a future episode of the Madams Cast. So, oh, brilliant, excellent. We'll, what you'll have to watch out for that one. It will be all about beer, which will be exciting. I will. Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, okay, I think we're pretty much there, mate. I I, I feel do like. To, do you want me to nominate someone? Well, yeah. I mean, you've you've stolen my final link from me, but I mean, you go ahead. That's fine. Sorry, it's a, only because it sounded like you were you were wrapping up, and I, and I thought <laughs> oh, no. you're taking over the whole show anyway. You might as well have the last link. I tell you what, why don't you um why don't you introduce the final element of the show for us? Well, I I I think what would be a nice uh, element to end the show one would be. To, for me to suggest uh, a person to, to nominate to um, to come on as a future guest. That's a brilliant idea. I wish I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so who who in the entire universe of people, real and fantastic, would you choose to uh, uh, nominate as a guest in the future on the Madams Cast? Um, well, I had to think about it, and I I've decided to nominate uh, the comedian Phil Jupitus. Because he is, uh, well, he's a jolly, funny, gregarious fellow. Um, but he's also really into his food, into cooking, um, into eating. And uh, yeah, and I think he would be, I think he'd be good value for money. He sounds like a top, top booking. I think we should work on getting him in. I, I used to really, it was, is this the same Phil Jupiter that used to go on that music quiz, never mind the Buzzcocks? Yeah. He, I thought he was great. Okay, yeah. Really good on that. Okay, excellent. So, uh, George, you, we've we've done it. We've done a Madam's Cast episode with you featuring slash taking over, and we've got <laughs> we've got some brilliant points from you, and we've had a, a bit of a laugh, which really is is what the whole thing's blooming well supposed to be about. So, it's massive thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been really enjoyable. And how do we how do we tune in to watch the kitchen at the end of the universe? Uh, well, I think it's nothing's up yet. Um, so, uh, it's still in the slightly sort of embryonic, uh, stages, but, um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if people would care to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, they're both at George egg. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
when it comes up, it'll it'll all appear on there. So they'll 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 find links to it there as and when. And if they want to go to my website, georgeo.com, then there's there's stuff about me on there too. Brilliant. Fantastic. And there's some great clips and bits and bobs on YouTube if anyone wants to find out a bit more or, or see some of your historical um, material. Yeah, George, great. Mill Fruit, have a lovely afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Have a lovely afternoon yourself. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon and sampling that bacon again. I'll save you a rasher or two, I'm sure. Cheers, matey. Cheers. <laughs>